Hello, and welcome to a Joyful Pause podcast. My name is Nicole Taylor, and I am here with my good friend, Mia Park. Hi, Mia. Hi, Nicole. Hello. (laughs) I'm so excited to be here with you. Let me introduce you to folks. Um, Mia is everything. She is an award-winning, multidimensional, Chicago-based artist powered by meaningful connections. She is an actress, a yoga and Tai Chi teacher, a producer, an advocate, a volunteer, and an interviewer. If you'd like to learn more about Mia, you can check her out at miapark.com. I know Mia because she was one of the first people I met when I really started deepening my yoga studies. And even though that was a decade plus ago, um, we've just always kept in touch no matter where we've lived. And what I'm excited to talk about with Mia today is her experience in um, a few months of just living a nomadic life. So Mia, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's so wonderful to connect with you. And for your listeners, I just want to say that as soon as Nicole and I got on this, we just laughed really loud (laughs) for like a minute. (laughs) Like we could do it again now if we wanted to. (laughs) Yeah, there's, yeah, go ahead. (laughs) It's just so lovely to be in Nicole's presence. (laughs) And anyway. Thank you. Thank you. And you. I felt like that giddiness that we get when we're, when we're in person. So it's nice that that happens over the ones and o's. So this whole series um, of podcasts that I'm doing right now is really about this idea of emergence. I have this sense that um, we are all taking some time to emerge from whatever COVID pandemic was for us, and that's happening differently for many people. But all of us are kind of in this space of what are we going to create now? How do we want to be with ourselves? How do we want to be in our communities? How do we want to be with nature? And I thought of you because I was like, wow, what what might you have learned from your time having a nomadic lifestyle that you could offer to the world as the world thinks of creating new structures? It's such a, uh, an elegant and intelligent, deep question, which is so you. So thank you for asking that and even thinking about that. Um, I, I think that the, the most painful and uh, important lesson that I'm still learning from my nomadic lifestyle was the definition of home. Mm-hmm. Um, I was living in a uh, condo in Chicago with a neighbor downstairs from me who was like so disrespectful. I, I couldn't even understand how somebody could uh, be so disrespectful to other people that way. He was just a very disturbing person in the building. Um, and I knew that he would still be there whether I left and came back or not. And because I also wanted to avoid the city of Chicago, just an urban setting during the pandemic and also in the kind of the brutal winters here also to hopefully to be in the sun to um, ease some seasonal affected disorder, but I have some depression. I got a government loan. Girl, I was like, I am spending this. I bought a trailer unseen off of Facebook. It was 
13 feet long. It had a kitchen with a, two burners and a fridge and a toilet and a shower. It was 13 feet. So I had to trade and upgrade my car to buy a car that would tow this. Yeah. So I just like drove, I got the car on a, on a um, Friday night and then Sunday morning I took off and I drove down to go pick up a trailer I hadn't seen because <laughs> wow. I thought home is with me and you and I have a pretty strong spiritual, uh, we have strong spiritual practices and, you know, philosophy, we are philosophy seekers in that way as well. And so this concept of home, of course, is like the abode, like the mm -hmm. deepest parts of ourselves, especially as uh, people who study tantric uh, lineages. You know, it's like we think that all the we believe we know the answers are all inside of us, like this mm -hmm. deepest concept of home is already in us. You know, we are the universe experiencing ourselves. Right. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, I'm going to take this little speck universe and go out and experience myself in a little 13 foot trailer and, you know, in the sun. So I like I'm not one to rest on my laurels and I'm kind of like I'm always pushing myself and. Uh, trying to explore things. And so I thought, okay, home. I am home. Sure. I'm that. Let's go. So it was hard. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had a learning curve on how to like learn to RV. It's hard. It's a bunch of skills. I have to twist what and turn the gas on where. And like <laughs> stuff just kept breaking. It just, they hadn't used it in a year and a half. And even though they, they got it checked out, I was like the little refrigerator latch broke off and then the fridge wouldn't work with the gas. It was just like, I was constantly chasing my butt, fixing this thing. And I don't know what was going on. So that was stressful. Uh, the weather was definitely part of the travel experience. I was like, I left Chicago home to be in the weather, warm weather. And I went from the Smokies to the Rockies and for the Rockies, finally, I went straight down to warmer weather. So even in the warmer weather, though, it felt like home, but didn't feel like home because I was so stressed out with like the, the breaking of the RV. I also had a partner at the time because I thought that I would find home in partnership. And we didn't know each other very well. Like we had met last year in Alaska. OK, so I <laughs> happened to be in, uh, in New Mexico. And he was wintering in New Mexico. So I just like swung by and I picked him up on New Year's Eve. I left Chicago around Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving weekend. So I picked him up um, uh, Christmas Eve. So I spent that like four or five weeks on my own kind of traveling around. And, uh, you know, I actually saw cousins on the road. It felt like home being with family, with, with, with cousins. That felt more like home. But I kept leaning, trying to lean into my deeper home self of home. I was like, I can be anywhere and feel like home. This person feels more like home, but really home's already in me. But what interestingly happened was that I didn't practice that much. I didn't do a lot of my the same physical practices that I would if I were in a fixed home. Mm -hmm. And I, I wasn't meditating as much as when I'm in a fixed home. So I put myself in this ironic situation where I was testing my sense of inner home so that home could feel like wherever I am, but I wasn't doing the things to make me feel that. Wow. Yeah. Wow. wow. Yeah. Yeah. So how did that, oh, I have so many questions. So the first yeah. question I have is, um, what did you lean into in those moments when things were breaking? Because it's one thing when you're in your home home and things are breaking 
But it's another thing if you are in an environment that is new to you and those resources that you might have had where you live are just not necessarily available. So what did you, in yourself, what did you lean into or in community, what did you lean into in those moments where it was just like not working? Uh, cursing. Oh my God. <laughs> I swore. You and I love to curse too. Can I curse? We do. We do. I oh, still we do. do. I love cursing. it. I Me keep, too. I, you know, they say that the more you practice, you know, your, your, your thoughts and your speech really clean up. Um, but I just, I love cursing. It's just Me like too. the spice of life. Um, yeah. Anyway, maybe you know, one you day. Yeah. <laughs> or not. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, can I just go off topic and give you a perfect example of cursing right now? <laughs> okay. If this is relevant. So the man who had killed uh, six Asian Americans, eight people, but six of them being Asian American because he wanted to get rid of his sexual temptations oh. in, in Georgia, he was sentenced today. And oh. he was convicted for four of those murders. But the prosecutor also wanted to charge this as a hate crime. And the judge, who was is a woman, rejected the hate crime part of it. Oh. She said that there's no proof, even though he like went to three different Asian massage places. Yeah. She said there was no proof that this was uh, any crime deliberately against Asians. So here's the perfect curse thing. Fuck that. Yeah. I mean, seriously, fuck that. What do you, what, are, seriously? Why didn't he go to a med spa or any other place that is that facilitates massage? He went to three Asian-run businesses. Most so that's a great example because you can't get the same feeling of a curse word in that situation if you don't say "fuck that," right? Yeah, yeah. I'm so sorry, Mia. That um, I hadn't read the news and I didn't know that, and that must feel like a slap in the face um, to the Asian community for that to not have been acknowledged that that was most definitely a fucking hate crime. You see, you feel me. I'm so upset about it. The, yeah. the, the good news is that I like the prosecutor and I believe it's a woman, but the prosecutor, this, this man was convicted out of four of the eight and there's another trial for the other four murders. Mm -hmm. And the prosecutor is going to still push for this to also be a hate crime as well as murder. Okay. I was like, go prosecutor. So at least, I mean, the guy's in jail for forever, but it's more of the principle of it for sure. Oh, yeah. And the acknowledgement the, that needs to be acknowledged. I feel like as part of the facing into the truth of what has been happening in this country, to me, part of that is naming and naming that that was specifically he sought out women who were Asian and that makes it a hate crime like healing can't happen when you're kind of faking it and only looking at part of the story. So. Right. Thank you for that. You. Yeah. Oh, thanks for that. I guess that brings up, I mean, since we're, it's not really off topic. I feel like the topic that we're actually landing on is what does home mean? And I'd be curious about this idea of home in America as an Asian American woman with this uptick in hate crimes since the pandemic. How has that impacted both your that, you know, 
inner sense of home, but then also America as home? Oh, it's such an important question. Thank you so much for asking it. It's been hard. You know, my, my parents very respectively, they met and married in Philly, but you know, they sought out this country. Like my, both of my parents tried really hard to come here and they very deliberately, uh, each of them wanted someday to get married and had kids and happened to be each other did that. They very deliberately wanted to give me and my siblings an experience of being Americans. Mm -hmm. So, and I, there's a lot of great things in this country, but we're still very broken, right? So, um, it was hard. I didn't like being in America. I certainly didn't like being in Chicago. I didn't like being in America. Um, I didn't know where to go, what to do. So I just kind of just kept going with this little travel trailer. You know, I had, it was like snail. Like I had my home on my back and I'm just cruising as fast as a snail could go, right? <laughs> Try to again, lean into this concept of home. And when it comes to like what it feels like racially being home, for a while I had a, a discussion with, I challenged myself, like if I am pure consciousness, but chose to be in this female Asian American body this lifetime, where does my obligation towards what I look like in this female human form now end? Because if I'm just pure consciousness, would I be spiritually bypassing if I didn't become more of an advocate for Asian American representation? Because it's like, you know, we're all parts of the universe, right? But there's a reason why, where I am now with this is that there's a reason why I am in the body I'm in now and why I present the way I do. Because my soul wanted to have an experience of being this person right now in time and space. So I just have the personality where if there's, especially if there's Asian American, anti-Asian sentiment happening, whether it's happening to me or not, I can't lay down with that stuff happening. I can't mm -hmm. spiritually bypass any of that. So, um, and this is just for me, I don't want to blame or judge anyone who might be Asian and not want to stand up for this, but that's just not me. Mm -hmm. So when I was traveling around, uh, I, the first person I stayed with in North Carolina is of Korean descent. And she's having a rough racial time there in Asheville. There's not a, there's not a lot of representation in the Asian diaspora there. So it felt good being with her and we talked. But we were like, I didn't see anybody else Asian like in the five days I was there, except for her, you know, in town. Yeah. So that was kind of weird. And then I went to Nashville and you know, stay with my cousin, like there was one other Asian family that their kids were friends with. And it was just weird. It was just like, you know, I don't, so in a way, even though Chicago's a mostly white town in the very white Midwest, there's still a little bit more diversity than like Nash, Asheville or Nashville. So this is the way it was the theme as I kept going south. You know, I did go to Colorado and it was like kind of a little bit more diverse, but actually not really. It was just like super fucking white everywhere. So like, and then I stayed with another set of cousins in Phoenix. And the first thing we did was go to Korean food. Cause that's what you do, you know? And I was just like, oh my God, Koreans, here we are. It was like the first time I'd been around like more than Asian people that I saw that I was with like the whole trip. Yeah. So as far as feeling home racially in that way, I definitely noticed the lack of Asians from Chicago to Phoenix going East and then West and then South. I was like, 
Where am I Asian? Oh my God, there's one Indian restaurant in Santa Fe. Phew. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's like, I had to look for that. So that was really interesting, yeah. especially, you know, when I left, I was on the road when the January 6th riots happened at the mm-hmm. Capitol. You know, and when 45 was out of office, I was like, thank God, because the elections happened and I hit the road. I was like, thank you. But I kept seeing Trump Pence signs up until March in the South. Yeah up until March. So that was really weird. And the partner I had is a six foot one white guy. And I know that if I was in the South with someone that wasn't like that, I would have had a very different experience. Mm -hmm. So even though I was still like 95, 99% of the times, the only Asian person I saw, um, sometimes I did see other, you know, Latinx people and black people. And I always feel comfort, honestly, when it's more of a diverse crowd. Yeah. But as far as people that look like me, you know, like I went to a lot of Walmarts, which I never would have done unless I was RVing. And, you know, I got looked at and I don't know if that's because I have a lot of tattoos or maybe because I'm cute girl, but I mean, seriously, (laughs) you know, like I definitely got looked at and this was even before I picked up dude man. So I was just like, I am just going to, keep you know i have pepper spray as my keychain so i was just like that's okay i keep my i know where my pepper spray is and i just kind of look around and honestly i've been rocking the sunglasses and the face mask way since the pandemic started in chicago because of the asian hate crimes Mm. so i would just rock that you know so as, as if my one white friend said mia you look asian even with sunglasses and a mask Yeah, but it's not like I'm hiding my identity. I got that like square, big Korean head. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Big, beautiful head. (laughs) That's right. Big, beautiful head. So anyway, um, uh, it it is challenging being in America with all the anti-Asian hate. When I came back to Chicago, it was really hard. So home to me is, it is an outward expression. It's definitely an inward journey, as you and I both know as, you know, practitioners. But home is also an outward expression of how I want to live and the community I want to make. And I don't want a homogenous community. I don't want it all Asian. I don't want it all black. I don't want it all white. I certainly don't want it all white because there's just this underlying white supremacy that we still are working from. I work from that place. And I was born and raised here. You know, how can I not being born and raised in America? Mm-hmm. And I don't think that white supremacy is actually a bad thing. I think you can kind of feel home even with that functioning. However, it just needs to shift. Like, I don't think cancel culture, as far as I understand it, is beneficial. I think that we're where we are because of what happened before us. So it's not about erasing. It's about shifting. And I think that it's possible to feel at home, even in a racist, violent atmosphere, with the hope that it will shift. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that hope is a part of feeling at home here. I hear you in that, that in order to feel comfortable in the kind of upheaval that has been happening for so long, holding out hope that um, we'll keep making the changes necessary for us to get along in a different way and for us to change the systems that keep perpetuating um, that oppression 
that hope is definitely for me also a part of feeling at home in the midst of chaos, you know? Um, and so when you talk about, you know, when I think of the practices that help me to feel at home in myself, regardless of how the world is spinning or not, um, I think of nature as a big part of that for me, that even though it's an external thing, there's something about being closer to trees and rocks and plant life that creates in me a nervous system calm that allows me to turn inward with more ease. And then I feel that pulsing innate sense of home. So that's how the nature actually supports that internal gaze. And I just wondered for you, as you were traveling, what role did nature play in that experience of your nomadic life? Such a great question. And absolutely, I resonate with what you're saying. Um, I loved being on the road in nature. This is a beautiful planet. Mother Earth is filled with miracles and inspirations in natural form. Organ pipe cactus, uh, natural, uh, it's not a park, it's a preserve or something in, in Arizona. Um, you know, Homo Lovi State Park in Arizona. I mean, it's just like I can go on and on about these grand sweeping landscapes of nature that also fed my soul. Mm-hmm. And it made me realize that people who live in the city benefit from the resources of having so many people so close together, but we're really suffering as urbanites because there's just not enough nature in cities, I think, at least for me. So I'm actually, I told myself when I got back, I had like a nature vacuum freak out. I was like, wait, where are the birds? Where's, where are this and that? Where's everything? So I, uh, I went, I went birding a lot. My partner at the time was really into birding. So basically the whole RV trip with him for over two months was going to look at rare birds. I loved it. it yeah, was that sounds cool. cool. <laughs> oh, it's great. I saw Nicole whooping cranes are taller than you and I whooping cranes are like five feet, five feet, five. I mean, what? the five whooping cranes. Yeah, girl, they're tall. I would run if I saw an animal taller than me. A bird. <laughs> In the wild. <laughs> I know. And they're so beautiful. And they actually do make sounds that sound like whoop, whoop, kind of. But I was just like, that's a big ass white bird. It was so great. Um, I do think that I, you know, I, I miss that so much in the city. So I'm actually trying to make it work. I'm staying, I decided to stay in Chicago and I'm actually moving to the lake Mm. because the lake is a big body of water that supports really interesting forms of life that I long to be near. Um, I, I think if people were able to be in nature more, it does change us for the better. You know, I, and I live actually where I am now by a beautiful park in Chicago called Humboldt Park. And sometimes I, I crap on it because I'm like, that's just the park. You can still see and hear traffic and there's, oh my God, there's trash all over. But sometimes I'll still walk there and just look at the lagoon and, Mm -hmm. you know, say, Mia, this is still 
nature, even if it's confined by like gangs and drive-by shootings in this neighborhood and the violence that is happening when you get a bunch of people together, it's, it's still nature can, can like shift that and calm that down. Yeah. Yeah. I think getting into nature when you live in urban settings is like so key. Um, in Philadelphia, we would spend a ton of time either in Fairmount Park. Um, we volunteer for Fairmount Park Conservancy and we lead these nature, um, nature walks, nature walks with meditation. So Ambrose takes people on the walk and then either at the midway point or at the end, we'll meditate for about 20 minutes and you just see people, um, like they literally look different after that 20 minutes plus all of the wonderful energy that they got from being amongst the trees. So can't say enough good things, um, about getting into nature, um, wherever you live, but especially getting those nature breaks if you can, when you're, when you're in town, I guess Mm -hmm. I'm also wondering about, um, in this way of being in more of a state. So like, we're always in a state of change. That's the nature of this universe that we're in, right? It's, it's in a constant state of change. And, but it seems like when you're in a nomadic lifestyle, that felt sense of that is just so heightened. So I know you said that some of your practices kind of fell by the wayside a little bit. And I feel like when you were able to practice, how did that support a sense of balance, although the change was remained constant? It was... You know, when I did practice, it was great. I My physical practice has actually more been Tai Chi lately than uh, yoga asana. Like yoga asana is more of like a functional, it's truly therapeutic for me. Like, let me do this for my back and let me do this for my neck. So my kind of like formed sequence practices lately been Tai Chi. And there's something very special about doing an inward focused practice in nature. It changes the effects of it. So I was doing, you know, and and part of my, because I am how I make a living. So I have this like social media presence I try to have. So people will like give me money for being me (laughs) and learn from me all the things I do. So anyway, so I made all these and and, and I made it kind of a thing. Like I'm going to practice, I'm going to make these videos that are really sped up of me doing Tai Chi, like all over the, the Southwest. It was so much fun. So not only did I create yoga videos in different places that I put on YouTube, but I also made these Tai Chi practices. And as I was doing them, it was great to have an inset, like, a, a, you know, like I'm going to record this to share with other people, me practicing in nature to show how much I love this, but also so that people can maybe want to do the same thing. Cause there's just this magic of like, you know, we are of nature and nature is of us, right? Microcosm and macrocosm. So it's like when we get back, when our, you know, we get more into our nature when we're in nature, because it's all the same thing really at the deep, deep part of ourselves. So it just makes sense. It's like a fish in water. It's like, get out in nature, people. It really shifts. So the constant thing of change you said, sorry, I got stuck on nature. Um, So I I took advantage of the change of nature by, like I said, making these little videos. Um, I got to see what, what, by so much change, I got to experience which parts of nature's really resonated with me. 
like I don't know if you've been to White Sands National Park. It's in southeast New Mexico. No, not yet. Oh, you gotta go. It's an ocean of white sand that you cannot see the end of. So it's just like mountains and hills. There's like no water, there's no tree. It's just pure white sand as far as, far as you can see. That is just this amazing canvas, this landscape. And it, you go there and it doesn't look like there's any change because you're just like you look all around, you go, you go up and down a hill and then you turn around and you can't see the parking lot anymore and you can't see any other people. And you're just like, oh crap, man, this is awesome. Where am I? What just happened? Where am I? I just went over a hill. Now I'm on like Mars, you know? So that kind of uh, change was really welcome. So you get to see what part of you resonates with different landscapes because of the change. But on the other part, it's just hard, man. All of that was just so hard. The shifting around, the, the like trying to get food done and cleaning and fixing all the broken stuff on the RV and negotiating another human being that I didn't know very well in a very 13 feet, very small space. Yeah. You know, so it was real all that change. And again, I, I welcome this, you know, I'm trying not to complain about it because I did it. But like, I really had to lean into that deeper part of myself. I kept telling myself like, okay, this is the way it's gonna be. This is what I wanted, this is the way it's gonna be. You know, but uh, just, it was hard, super challenging. I don't yeah. know how good or bad I did. That's, I, I don't like thinking on that scale, like how successful was I? In the end, I was extremely successful with all the change because I learned a lot and I'm here and I'm a better person for it. But girl, it was hard, so stressy. Sounds hard. So tell me about that. What are some of the things that you learned that you would not have learned if you didn't give yourself this experience? That I truly don't need to depend on a romantic partner to find home. Mm. Uh, that is something that this is a conversation I've had with myself my whole adult life. Mm. And um, yeah, man, I don't need a, I don't need a partner to feel at home. I kept trying to do things to make the partnership work. And it was great for what it was. It's he's, he's, he happens to be not the kind of person that like does these long-term things. But I was trying to change that because I thought it would be give me more of a sense of home. So that's one real lesson I learned, which is great. Um, one of the other lessons I learned was that home is not uh, friendships. Because I came back to Chicago uh, depending on this group of friends. And then like a month later, I had unfriended them because I didn't feel like I was supported enough by them during the anti-Asian spike in violence. It's very disappointing that these people I thought were, could really see me and know me, like didn't seem to care that I was struggling and that this thing was happening in America. So I realized home is not that, you know, it's not in friendships necessarily. It's not really community necessarily. So then what's home? It's just kind of like all, I just kept learning that it really is inside. It really is inside. And then once I started um, embracing myself more as like home inside while I was home in Chicago, the newer, the newer friendships or the better quality relationships just started naturally forming. Mm -hmm. So it's really true. Once you start listening deep to yourself, like, you know, the people that you need, and that you need you and you need, they, they, they show up. 
That's and wonderful. Because I was like, are you trying to say oh, you're an island? Because we do all need community in some form. But I hear you saying that in claiming yourself, that enabled you to let go of relationships that actually weren't connected or supported and allowed the ones that had that potential to flow in. Is that word? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. It's just like, again, the more authentic I'm feeling with myself, the, the Sangha, the community that I can serve and that will serve me is just organically happening. Um, it's been really, really wonderful. And, 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 you know, I don't really think we need that big of a, I mean, we certainly, there's rings of communities within ourselves, but I mean, we only have so much energy for relationships, the kind of quality relationships that can really like, that we can nurture to help us grow as a, as, as people, individuals, you know what I mean? Like, I, and I've always heard that, like the older you get, the less friends you need, you know, how social I am. I was like, what? <laughs> but now I'm just like, oh my God, too many people, too many people. Yeah, you know, it does, if you really want to be connected and not have it just be this light layer of, you know, a touch, it really does take time and energy. Like Ambrose and I, during the pandemic, we drew these circles out of people that we feel connected to, that we see as our community and that we want to be in touch with so that everybody, you know, it's kind of like, who are your people when something hard goes down? Who are your people? And you want to be checking on them. And since I'm a person of lists, um, you know, we kind of just <laughs> made this because you can get so in your own survival mode that you kind of forget to reach out. So we, it was just a really interesting exercise to just like, okay, like who are our people and that including family um and then just writing that down and it was surprising i'm just plus wanting what you're saying because it was a smaller group than we initially thought and it's not mm. to say that that's good or bad but it's just like oh right like there is you know this sense of connection and belonging that's so beautiful in community and it mm -hmm. requires um it requires you know your energy and your attention for sure for sure so in terms of um bringing our conversation to a close there's one question that i love to ask guests and that question is what do you see as our collective liberation what a beautiful question what do i see as our collective self-knowledge i think our collective liberation is based on our individual development i don't think the two are uh, can be separated i think that once each individual takes accepts the gift and the responsibility we all have to deeply know ourselves and to become better individuals, then we can support each other in an uplifting way. So I think that our collective liberation has to do with individual accountability. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and your feelings. And I just really loved this whole 
um, exploration of what is home. And it feels very timely um, to invite others into this exploration in themselves of what is home. So thank you so much, Mia. <gasps> Nicole, thank you for asking me. It's been so nice talking to you. It's always nice talking to you. Awesome. And for listeners, if you want to connect with Mia, you can find her at miapark.com. Thanks so much for listening and be well. Talk soon.